and welcome to the Carbitrage Podcast, episode 293. I am Eric Berger, joined as always by my co-host Ryan Sininski. Hello. Hi, that's me. Welcome back. Hello. It's, it's been, been a while. It has I'm been. Sorry. It's been a while. This uh, this year, our podcast schedule has also been the exact same time as everything else that's like important for me to do. Mm-hmm. Weddings are fun. Why would it not be that weekend when it could be the next one? Right? Yeah, where I'm doing That's nothing. How the, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, to start out, we are drinking the best sub premium beer. It is called the Montucky Cold Snack, which is the official, unofficial beer of Montana, and it's brewed in Wisconsin. All of that makes sense to me. Let's take a sip. That is a cold snack. Yeah, it is a session lager. It's really like, this is perfect on a 100 degree day. Yeah, which is odd that today it isn't. Yes. Because the last entire week it's been 100 plus. Has been 100 100 plus, yep. I'm not about it. Yep, this has been perfect. It's pretty similar to old style, but it's a little sweeter. Yeah, it's sweeter, a little bit lighter. Like, a little bit more fruity, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I get what you're saying. um, The correct way to enjoy a Montucky cold snack is somebody gives it to you upon your first time meeting them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, my first time having this was somebody gave it to me. Um, and then all of my friends, their first time having it is somebody gave it to them. Um, so what I, you're saying is nobody buys it for their own consumption? Well, I mean, I do. Oh. Because I actually enjoy it. Uh, but see. the correct way to enjoy it for the first time is somebody gives it to you. It's well, like a secret club. That is how I am yeah. currently enjoying and it. That's, and that's how you enjoy it. Like, um, <laughs> you know that, uh, that YouTuber, Dustin Williams? No. Oh, he's a YouTuber. I he, believe he, you. He came to Battle Creek for oh, nice. uh, the, that Tuesday meet yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. last year Tuesday. and like filled it out. Nice. This year he showed up, but he told people that he was coming as he was arriving. Ah. Brilliant. So nobody showed up except for like a handful of very cool cars, and I gave him one, and he enjoyed it. Very fun. Because they're enjoyable cold snacks. That's a fun little show. I like it. Yeah. I finally oh, went a couple so weeks good. ago. Yeah. So, oh, wow, you went the one week I didn't go. <laughs> So I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I was a little surprised because like I walk across where I parked and like Josh is there and like Kevin yeah, usually there. I'm there. Right. Oh, is that was probably the week that Dan was doing the dinner for the Minneapolis Mile. Could be. Yeah, but I got to ride in uh, Kurt's new LS powered SN95. Oh, very good. That thing is kind of wild. Good. I'm happy I Kurt got that. Yes, it fits his personality so well. Good. I, I'm, I'm very happy he's enjoying that. Why well, do a two-second quick thing about Patreon and how people can do Patreon for starting at a dollar a month to help buy us beer and help support the podcast, and then sometimes they can get swag if they find us and we happen to have it on us. Anyway, what Ryan just said, and let's get where into the topics. Where do, we, where do we go? We go Patreon. to patreon.com forward slash carbitrage. There we go. That Perfect. was the one part you omitted. Damn. Yep, and I wanted you to say that part. All so, right. I want to talk about something that kind of sucks, and that's the new Nismo Z, which is uh, automatic. Uh, hold on. So, I'm reading the caption here on the screen from JNC. Yep. And it's saying that this new, I'm guessing, performance trim Z has more power, which nobody asked for, and a Genos, which is cool. Uh, but it says automatic only in the yep, caption. Yep, I said. Why? Who thought that was? Who thought that was a good idea? Um, you know, every car enthusiast in the world <laughs> like goes, "Yeah, no, I'd like to have a manual. I don't care about like I'll just make the power myself. It's fine. Like nobody actually gives a shit. The only people that do are just like like woo boys that enjoy Porsches. Like, and I'm not like that. I. This is dumb. Yeah, this isn't good. You could get the Nismo 370Z in a manual, couldn't you? Yes. Yeah, okay, so... You could get them all manual up until this one. I Look at this stupid interior with that stupid shifter. Yep, it's dumb. What? It's faster, I don't care. Yeah, faster hasn't been an argument for 30 years. Nobody cares. Well, the thing is, yeah, sure, this is faster, but, um, like... At this price, there's going to always be something that's faster than this car. Did Nissan look at it and... Okay, I, I don't know the take rate on the 400Z, the new Z, whatever they call it. I don't yeah. know the take rate for transmissions. To know if the manual take rate's super low, but I have to imagine they're selling almost 50% of those as manual. Yeah. There's no way... Because your, your options right now, for a new rear-wheel drive manual transmission car, you can, get like, you can get a Supra, you can get a Miata, you can get a GT86, or you can get a Z. Yeah, well, like, I think what's important here is I don't that like this. Um, Nissan is sitting here making this, and they're making this decision in a bubble, where 
Yeah, okay, cool. You now have made faster Nismo. And, okay, you needed, for whatever reason, you needed to put a automatic behind it, which is a decision. I don't know if it's a good one. Actually, no, for a fact, it's a bad one. But, like... I'm looking through the mod list here, and, like, the only thing that really says performance is the additional horsepower. But, like, the seats look really nice. I actually do kind of like the front bumper. The Genos. Yeah, and so there was a follow-up post by a Japanese nostalgia car called Why the Nismo Comes Automatic Only. And it's there's just a whole bunch of TLDR about it, about how it's, like, marginally faster. And the automatic version um, had to have a automatic transmission to be faster than the uh, manual like base model with the same specs because if they put a manual behind this it'd be slower than an automatic base model and I'm there's a there's a couple of commenters here on Japanese nostalgia car the first one is a person named Chet Manley great Um, name great name and uh, Chet Manley said I think it's a load of horse manure that Nissan thinks automatic transmission being a bit faster being a bit faster will be the deciding factor Here's the thing. A Tesla Model 3 performance version is already 3.1 seconds for 0 to 60, Mm -hmm. with the vanilla dual motor being a mom car at 4 seconds. So enthusiasts looking at 0 to 60 times will look over anything else and just go get an EV. This is a gas car. It's not going to ever do that. The Nismo brand is an enthusiast sub-brand, not a performance sub-brand. So all the more reason to who gives a shit about your 0 to 60. Yeah, exactly. Like, um... And like, it, and then Chuck goes on to say, like, credit where it's due, Porsche sticks manuals into things and start, charges a premium for them. They even put a turbo on 924 back in the day, knowing oh, that'd yeah. be faster than a 944. I'm like, right. that's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, like, also, you have to own a 924. Oh. There's another person named Ollie to Booger. Um, I'm sorry? Ollie to Booger. <laughs> Man, internet commenters really I haven't know, lost right? their they possessions. Have great names. <laughs> uh, they're absolutely both not me. Um, <laughs> How many alts do you have? Hundreds. <laughs> but uh, Ollie's comment said, this looks like two th- one of two things to me. One, they just forgot that they were going to make a Nismo model. Like every other manufacturer in the world makes their vanilla model slower for the performance, so the performance version looks faster. Right. Um, there's a reason that Active Aero and higher horsepower on the Corvette ZR1 only exists on that trim. Correct. Like, those are things that a normal Corvette could totally have, but they chose not to put that on. I said Nissan could have easily put a more restrictive exhaust on it, a milder ECU tune, Mm -hmm. or narrower tires on the 400Z, and not have this issue. But they didn't. And all of them make the same power. All the trims, except for this, make the exact same power. But this is the other concern that is actually aired. Um, And it said, maybe this is all they could muster. Like, maybe it didn't turn out as intended. Like, they were intending to be able to do more, but this is all they could muster from the chassis. And then not being able to eclipse the standard model with a manual transmission says a lot about there's, that. There's just no way. And I like, like this little quip in the, uh, the article, too, which is saying that the additional power is pretty much completely negated by the 168 pounds of additional weight yep. that you get with the 9-speed. Yeah. Like, that doesn't matter. Um, another person said, I'm tired of having to fight for every manual transmission. It's not like enthusiasts are quiet. <laughs> like, we really aren't. <laughs> we, we really aren't. We hold off on buying cars that don't offer them. There's a reason that Alfa Romeo doesn't sell shit in America. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing is, is that, like, like, Toyota went through this fight with the Supra. Yep. And it's not like Nissan and, mar- like, engineers and marketing staff are illiterate. Like, no. Maybe, uh, maybe they're giving them too much credit. Like... They could be illiterate and just ended up with this job. <laughs> I don't know how, but they might have. Hey, man, people have... Maybe that's their thing. But, like... Fallen into weirder roles. I'm just thinking of... There have been so many cars that have just done nothing for enthusiasts because they were automatically... Like, yeah. the R35 GTR got lucky. Well, yeah, because it was, like, the Gran Turismo car. It was, yeah. like, it was te- a technological tour de force. It was cheap. It was half the price of an yes. turbo when it launched. Now it yeah. isn't. Yeah, exactly. So but, it, like, the right. thing is, is, like, the, the GTR also, at that point in time, to, like, do what it did, it needed to be automatic because they had to make an, right. a transmission that would fit into multiple things. Right. And automatic was the way to make that work. Um, but, I mean, to your point earlier, uh, 
the Alfa Romeo. Yeah. The, the Giulia Quadrifoglio, in the rest of the world, you can get it with a six-speed. Yeah, just not here. Yeah. Here and that's can. why nobody buys them here. Right. Because the only people that are going to ever buy an Alfa Romeo are going to be people that want a manual. Because mm-hmm. your average person is not going to buy an Alfa because nobody wants to deal with an Alfa. No. The like, manual makes the pain worth it. Yeah. Like, that. that is a objectively terrible car. And also, like, you have a car that's known for being... Oh, oh that no. fucking clown. What a boob! Sorry, there's that stupid person <clears throat> with the Jag that drove by. Um, but the... Um, it was the black XJR that did that one-wheel peel. Yeah, uh, exactly. Listeners. You remember. Um, but the... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. Uh, I was talking about manuals. and Oh, Alfa Romeo's. Yes. Alfa Romeo's are known for being problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, why on earth would you add a not simple option as the oh, only thing. Oh, but it's a nice, reliable... No, it's not. Transition. It's not. A, it doesn't matter. It's the fact this is Alfa Romeo on it. Right. Like, it says Alfa Romeo. It's going to suck. Like... They still wrote the shift logic, too. Let me, let me yeah, just say Yeah, no, that. they absolutely did. And it's like, when I bought my Fiat, like, realistically, I'm okay buying an automatic for myself. Cause mm-hmm. I genuinely don't give a shit about my commuter. Um... But, like, I bought a manual because I did not trust a Fiat with an automatic. Yeah. The Eisen six-speed auto is actually very reliable in those cars, but they, they're they sealed. Mm-hmm. Which really rubs me the wrong way on any component. Yeah. And so it, there's just a million ways that they could have not fucked this up, and they fucked it up. Yep. And it's like, this car, I, I think, like, Nissan thinks too highly of modern Z cars. Because genuinely, nobody's really given a shit about the Z since the S30s, since the original Z, that's when that car was in the zeitgeist. Ever since then, yeah. it has just been another sports car. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it was the thing in the 70s. But in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s, yeah, you had it your, was, you had, your you clips, had an but, option. Like, yeah, like there are people that love Z32s. Mm-hmm. That's great. But the Z32 is not the apple of everybody's eye like the Supra. Nobody, like, right. no, that absolutely. car could, the Z could have disappeared after the Z32, and genuinely the world would have been okay. Yep. Like, uh, look, I at, think, look at the 3000 GT. It would have been yeah, the same thing. It's the same thing. Nobody cares about the 3000 GT. Right. This is... And that did go away, yeah, and nobody, nobody cared. Nobody cared. And that's the thing with the, with, the Z, with the Z cars, is like, they're cool. Don't get me wrong. Do I appreciate them? Yes. Do I appreciate when they make cool trim levels? Absolutely. Would would I cry if the Z didn't exist anymore? No, because I haven't really like some of my favorite cars are Zs. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I but, know. Like, We've talked about yeah, the uh, Z thirty one, but like they're genuinely like it's not like a Skyline, like a Skyline GTR. Like the GTR should exist. Yeah. Absolutely, it's not like the Corvette where GM needs the Corvette to exist. It, this is the GM Camaro, like like the Chevy Camaro, like the GM's like thing where it's just like, here's your other car, like here's your Firebird, like cool, Firebirds are great, but like if the Firebird stopped existing, that wouldn't be the heart of GM stopping beating. Oh, wait. This isn't the heart of it Nissan. Did. Right. Yeah, and so it, it's, it doesn't matter. What you need to do is make this exciting for enthusiasts, and that is put a manual on it. So Pretty much. And like, let's not forget, this is based on the underpinnings of the 370 and therefore the 350. So, I mean, the car still has... It's it's very obvious the intention of how they plan to sell and market this car, and it's to people that actually give a shit about the manual. Yeah, and... Yeah, it's you're, you're going to get a nothing burger out of this. They're not, <sighs> their, their sales are going to suck. Also, they did nothing with the body. All the other Nismos yeah. had, like... Very different bodywork. This one they it's did pretty subtle. It's very nothing. I feel like it's more like paint schemes than it is actual bodywork. This is the lamest Nismo I've ever seen. <laughs> I I would genuinely, if I wanted a Nismo model made in the last ten years, that's not a Z thirty four. I get a Nismo Centro over this. Oh my god! Because well, that came with a manual. That's true. You could get that in a stick. Yeah, you get manual turbo front wheel drive Centro. That is a weird car. Why that exists is doesn't need me. to, but that's the one I would get. That's the enthusiast, and it doesn't car. have this problem. Yeah, doesn't look like that. Tell me that that is at all an appealing looking shifter. When I drive Jan's Lexus, as much as I love it, I do get anxious because I know anybody can take it. What do you mean? It's automatic. 
Oh, yeah. You can just get in there and step on the gas and well, go. True. I like having a manual. I feel safer in it. Like, that's, and that's genuine. Like, that's actually a thing. Like, well, you hear about these people like casing and nicer neighborhoods now and like yeah. stealing cars. I'm like, they're not going to be able to steal your stuff. Well, I was like driving. So I, I did drive. I went to the North St. Paul car show and I had to drive uh, Colin home when I was done. And so when I left Colin's house, it was an uptown. I'm like, every time I stopped at a stoplight, I made sure I had move. I had places to move to. Sure. Because I'm like, hmm, I don't want somebody to try and box me in and carjack me. Right. Like, I'm going to make sure that I can go on the sidewalk. There's not going to be like a trash can in my way. I can go into oncoming traffic. I can just go through the light. Like, that's something I thought about. If I was in the Fiat, I would not think about that. I would just be sitting there listening to Bocelli. Yeah, and eating this, spaghetti. Yeah, so this is dumb. Oh well. Mm. Anyway, let's talk about some better things. All right, let's move on to. Oh my god, I gotta look and see what. The, okay, all right, we're back to EV charging. Yes. Sorry, I put this in quite a while ago. So since we last recorded, there have been more developments, and mainly it pertains to the Tesla NACS connector becoming a released patent and getting soon, and anyway, an SAE number. So mm-hmm. it's going to be SAE J thirty eight hundred, I think. But the the adoption went from nothing to a month ago. We're seeing, okay, well, we have four or five major automakers signing on. Now we're to the point where we basically have a conglomeration or conglomerate. You, you have an amalgamation? Amalgamation, yes. Okay. So a huge number of the biggest EV automakers have come together and said, the infrastructure outside of the supercharger network is not good enough. So we okay. have the we have the diesel gate money, which is Electrify America. Yep. It expanded very quickly. It's nice that we have it, but there's no maintenance there. So there's a problem. Combine that with the fact that we now have a new charging standard port, which is NACS. Um, all of these companies, which include but are not limited to BMW, GM, Honda, uh, Honda, Kia, Mercedes, and Stellantis, are all teaming together to form this amalgamation company, which is going to basically compete with the supercharger network. Okay. The reason why they're going to do this, I already said one of them, the Electrify America CCS charging network is in really bad condition. Yes. And it was, it was all put together 10 years ago. Well, it wasn't even 10 years ago. I mean, it was this still about diesel gate. closer to 10 years ago than but, I mean, not. They were buying like hardware eight. from all of the different companies because they had yeah. to roll this out so quickly. So, I mean, the techs can't replace this shit. A yeah. lot of these companies are out of business and defunct, but a lot of this comes down to, well, since the standard is now opened up, the car company that makes your car should not be the one selling you the power. Yeah. And really, that's one of the biggest issues of the Tesla supercharger network, along with the short cables that so doesn't work with every other you know, car. But I think this is fantastic because every time I travel, it's okay for me because yeah. the supercharger network is fantastic and really it's open, but it's not. So yeah. I don't have to worry about a huge number of people with other EVs blocking them on holiday weekends. Yep. But there are times where I've had to wait for a spot with an eight supercharger stall, and like it's only going to get worse, and mm-hmm. EV sales are up. So I'm really, really excited to see that there's going to be a competing network that will have both connectors. Hopefully, they will take maintenance seriously. Because yeah. in my opinion, that's the biggest no, that's issue with charging be, right networks right now. It, I, if I had an EV and I was on a road trip and I'm, you know... I know how I drive. Yeah. I'm going to wait till it's, it starts flashing bells and whistles at me. <laughs> and I get to a charging station, and like the one charger that's open is fucking broken because some bro with a truck just drove over it or something. Like, I'm going to have an out-of-body experience. I'm going to light the car on fire there in the parking lot mm-hmm. and just go get an ice car again. Like, mm-hmm. that's absolutely what happened to me. Mm-hmm. It'd suck. Like, I don't want that to happen. Right. So, yeah, if they can, as long as there's maintenance. And I think, like, maybe, like, as far as maintenance goes... Um, for the Electrify America stuff, it should be up to the DOT. Like, would you like to make jobs for America? Have people whose entire job is to just go to charging stations and be a janitor for them, make sure shit's plugged back in, make sure things not, aren't broken. Well, we already and have departments of weights and measures. Like, they could. Yeah, no, they totally could. And, like, I, well, I just think, like, like America needs, like, more just accessible jobs. Yeah. That's an accessible job that would pay decently. Yeah, there's some level of skill to it. Yeah, so. there's a level of skill to it. It's not just flipping burgers and McDonald's, but like a problem with our country is there's a gap between 
flipping burgers at McDonald's and des- designing lithium batteries. Right. Like, <laughs> in between there, you're supposed to have a four-year degree. It's a good trade. You're supposed to have, like, a four-year degree, eight years of experience just to make $27 an hour. Like, that's ridiculous to me. This is this could fit that niche yeah, where it's is, like... It's like appliance repair. I mean, yeah, there's skill to it, but it's yeah, really that, limited. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an actual skill that you could have where it's like... And they're like, okay, well, let's say you don't want to do that for the rest of your life. Well, yeah. you already have that. That can easily translate into something else, like being an electrician. Yeah. Like, that's, you could easily make that happen or be, you know, have another job and like a more of a desk based thing. But yeah, like, that's something where you could have a scalable job for a lot of people and that would bring jobs to America. So I don't see what the problem would be there having just like the DOT run their own. And then, you know what? People could have their own charger systems. Like, I'm a really big fan of taking gas stations mm-hmm. that have like bodegas in them and converting them into EV chargers and just yeah. elevating the bodega. Yeah, people. That's a, a very good point. That's another huge shortfall of the charging networks right now. Is there's there's no creature comforts. A lot of the time, you can't even get a restroom. Yeah, no, that's that's a problem. There was a um, there was a BP that was over by my house, and I like if I had the money, I would have absolutely bought it and done that with it. But they ended up. Selling it to somebody that's going to make it to a five over one, and they tore it down, and that's a fine. What? A five over one, five residential stories over oh, one oh, of, of okay. commercial mixed use. I should know what that is. That is I a great term use. for that. It's, I found I found out that those specific apartments are, and I'm like, I don't like five over ones, but they have a place in the world. They do, and yep. honestly, all this. Uh, tangent whatever this is our show yeah the amount of high density housing that's in the process of going up or is i don't know planned right now is insane so we are going to reap the benefits as renters anyway in the next 10 to 15 years rental is going to get really cheap yes because there's going to be an overabundance of pretty nice places to live and it's going to be fantastic because people will actually be able to live comfortably again at some point Mm -hmm. I, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I actually, I like the idea of, um, you know, having like some five over ones where it's like, you know, it's a condo. Like you can actually buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like, your HOA and that's how mm-hmm. the landlord, the actual owner of the building yeah. makes their money is they have the HOA fee. Like, there you go. Don't now everybody's happy. You have equity. Yeah. They have profit. Everybody's happy. Like there's, there's, a, there's a happy medium there. I, I'm a huge fan of that, so, that ethos for a lot of people. Yeah. So, but back to my thing with like (laughs) elevating gas stations is like you can still put like one or two fuel pumps in there. So, Mm -hmm. like, you don't need to yank out the tank down there because, like, that's me fine. But, but gas gas stations are not profitable as they are. Most gas stations in the next 10 years are going to go bankrupt because they're all franchises and they're all unprofitable. The only way gas stations make money is from selling concessions. I believe that. It, they lose money on every gallon of gas they pump. Especially with all these like loyalty programs and everything. Like. There's loyalty programs. There's also just like all the fees. If your tank ruptures, oh you are going out of business. No question. You, you're, you're not coming back from that. Like, you're and the done. insurance claims have to pay out when they yep. you know, event line breaks and they get Yeah, water. no, it, it's, it, it is absolutely crippling. So that's where... That's what I'm saying. Like A lot of these... Um, gas stations, the smart thing to do is elevate your concession store, put a small restaurant or bodega in there. So it's, and then you take half those charge, those gas pumps, you make them into chargers. Yeah. And yeah, that works. You give me the option of like a holiday gas station sandwich and a, you know, a a carbonated beverage when I'm at a charger, you bet your ass you're selling me one every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, even like more than a holiday gas station sandwich, like, would you, like there's a gas station that is in Egan mm-hmm. that has a great bodega and I'm blanking on the gas station's name, but they have just a wonderful barbecue and it's honestly a better fit for EV charging because you're there longer. Exactly. So yeah. if you're going to sit there for more time, like might as well have a good little sandwich shop, mm-hmm. have a coffee shop in there, like have something that's you know take that concession stand out and put in like whatever you you want your like local version of a caribou to be. Like, like a, you put a small coffee shop that's yummy, like actually good, like a, 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 a karma coffee. Oh, yeah. Or a like, five-watt. Mm. Yeah, like a five-watt, so something good. like that. Where, yeah, you put a five-watt in there, it'd be perfect. What actually, about that, like a, a small WeWork or something in there, too? That's like what I mean, yeah. People doing work on the road, like give them a nice quiet place Absolutely. with the internet that yeah. uh, doesn't suck. You, yeah. No. <laughs> I got to charge my car. I got to get out of the office. That's Everybody's going to live or be thrilled by that. And let's be real. I mean, as batteries get bigger, yeah, charging speeds come up, but... If you need to take it, that's cool. No, I'm just telling Trig to text me. Mm. <laughs> but but no, yeah. I, I hear you. I think 
That's a great idea. I've only been to, I think, two charging facilities that were at existing convenience stores. Yeah. And the experience was fantastic because I knew I had a bathroom. I knew I You're could go in. You're going to sell things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they did. Like yeah. I bought beef jerky and, you know, Red Bull. Like, I don't know. Yeah. The, the no. profit margin. Yeah. So. so anyway, we still have a car show going on, people. <laughs> uh, that's why you're hearing things that yes. uh, um, are us. So. Well, oh, man, I like the idea of expanding EV charging, and I really like the idea of... Um, this, is, this is a hell of a segue. I like it. I, know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually like being an urbanist and enjoying my car. Like, enjoy, that's the thing. Like, I'm, an, I'm an urbanist, but I also enjoy cars. Like, it's a very weird niche that well, I fit in. Look at Scott, too. He, like, writes this, like, pro-pedestrian bike column. And that's what I mean. Like, like me, and Scott, me and yeah. Scott are both, like, yeah, urbanism. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like, we're, we're city planning nerds that love cars. Like, cars have a place. They're not, it's not commuting. Like, that's what a car is for. The perspective is nice, though. Because yeah. I'm glad people like you are actually vocal about it. Yeah. Because it, if it's all just hippie, crunchy people that just think the cars are the worst thing in the entire world, yeah. it's a problem. And one that's the thing is I admit as a commuting vehicle, they are terrible. Yeah, there um, are better mechanisms. Yes, there's a better way to commute. Like I, when I go to Dan's house and like Jan is like getting off of work because mm-hmm. she works next to Dan's, yeah. I gladly take light rail. I have more fun taking light rail than I do parking because I don't have to pay for parking. I just hop on the light rail, pop on a podcast, yeah. go scroll through Reddit. That's it. Every time um, I've taken the light rail, I've been like, that was so nice. Yeah, it's always been a great like, time. Anyone that bitches about Ooh, the toilet rail or whatever, I'm like, you are... I'm sorry that poor people exist in your capitalist society. Yeah, I'm sorry. Perhaps you should be communist so everybody's equal. I'm sorry like, that people <laughs> don't smell and look the way that you like. I well, mean, like that, that, that's the thing. Is like Whenever anybody complains about light rail or any public transit, like the thing they're complaining about is capitalism, but they're capitalists. I'm like, well, this is what you get, homie. Like These people aren't going to not exist. Like This happens everywhere. Like I know all the... Not all of them. I know... 70% of the homeless people around my house. Mm-hmm. And I try to like to a degree take care of it. I'm not going to let I'm not going to open up my house and you know and like have them like sleep in my basement or anything. But like if they want to like chill out on my steps and like under my sh- under the shade of my like yeah. black walnut tree during a hot summer day, absolutely dude, do your thing. Here's some water. But like that's the thing is like cuz I know personally everybody here is most people that listen to this, mm-hmm. most people in America, they are one financial problem away from homelessness. Oh, yeah. I know right now. Especially if, right now, dude. If my water heater broke right now. You would have cold showers for a while. I would never be out. I, I would genuinely have to sell my house. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Like Or really unpleasant showers. Nope. I would have to uh, sell my house to be able to, because I'm not going to be able to afford it anytime soon. Well, yeah. Because you don't have to replace it. No, I've, got, I've got $15,000 worth of wedding expenses between, that we've added on. Like, it, it is. Gotta love it. Yep. No, if that water heater went out right now, it'd be a catastrophic problem. I would learn very quickly how to fix a water heater. <laughs> it's, it's very easy. I would yeah, help you. Good. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, that's why I'm always, like, I try to be, like, treat homeless people or people that are even, like, lower income, like, yeah. people, because that could happen to me. That could, yeah. especially when you have a hobby like cars. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Uh, and, like, people love to modify their cars. And, uh, you know, the modifications, sometimes they get a little cursed. Um, so, actually, I want to take that uh, <laughs> segue. Um, and I want to talk about. Let's talk about oh, our sorry. pet peeve modifications. Like, what, right. I'm not talking like big ones. Like, what is the worst small modification you can do? So, major modifications like crackle tunes or like Boyd Coddington wheels, like those are like the worst. But what is like the worst small modification? Like a pointy lug nut or something like black that. wheels, black just painting wheels black, tricolor stripe grills. Oh God, oh I uh, or uh, grills. I mean, I am. Uh, genuinely torn between the claw mark sticker over the headlight, uh, LED valve stem caps, and pointy lug nuts. Those are my three least favorites. I, I, like, gun to my head, I don't think I could tell you which one bothers me the most. I mean, I really hate camber, too, but, like, nowhere near as much as I hate black That's wheels. Camber is a mi- major modification, because you actually have to do something. You can't just, like, I understand. You can't go to AutoZone and make camber happen. Well, I mean, you could. <laughs> You usually, you, you can't purposefully do right, that. Right, right, right. <laughs> hey, do you sell crash bolts here, but, like, 
really small ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but no, for me, genuinely, it's black wheels. I'm like, black every wheels, time I just see those, paint I'm like, a wheel black. You may as well just have yeah. And I'm not talking professionally gloss black powder coated wheels. No, I'm talking it, like it, you look black. like you have steelies now. Yep, or worse. That's because awful. They paint them looking at it, and they don't rotate the wheels. So, like, a part of the spoke oh, they God. don't see is still yeah, silver. That's so bad. Poorly painted black wheels. God, I hate black wheels. I, um... Yeah, that that, that is up there. I think that... Oh, uh... Quarter window louvers. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I saw those on an Equinox the other yep. day. Like, a new one. Oh, like, what? The first time... this? The first time I saw one, oh. and... The first one I saw... The first time I saw one, I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. It reminds me of Death Race. And now every time I see one, it's on like an accord. I'm just like, get the fuck out of here with your quarter window Eva lures. You're so bad. Um, I hate it so much. NASCAR style spoiler editions. Oh yeah, the Wicker Bill or whatever. Yeah, the NASCAR spoiler on Hellcats. <sighs> that is the ultimate. I'm a fuckboy that goes to Ooh, like takeovers one. mod. That is the worst. The people that letter their tires with a different brand of tire than they actually have. I mean, I hate the lettering, but like people that letter their the tires. The Michelin on like the Guangchangs or whatever high runs. People that letter their tires and all they do is they fill in the tire, and especially if it's a sticker, that's the oh, worst. Oh yeah. So <laughs> with tire lettering, there were two <clears throat> ways. So it used to be so through the raised letter tires, like back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's cool. If the factory letter factory tire. factory like like if the tire manufacturer itself did a raised letter, yeah. that's cool because yeah. it's actually raised. Yeah. They actually made the inner bands of the tire white, and they shaved off the the black vulcanized rubber to make the white stick out. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yes. But what bothers me the most is when people, like, they don't... Because it, it's a sign to me that they don't know where the roots are from. Because the modern tire lettering craze where they spray paint a thing onto it yeah. was from, actually, Raoult Bagriff, um, RWB. Hell of a name. Well, RWB. Oh. They popularized that because um, in Japan, different Kanjo teams would go to racetracks at the same time. And it was after the Japanese government like, cracked down a ton on street racing. And so to be competitive, they'd race against each other and they'd have their track tires. And they'd put the name of their team on the tire oh, okay. so people couldn't steal tires. So it'd say like idlers or... It would say like um, it would say like Temple Racing or something sure. on the tire. So if you're like from Temple Racing, uh, and somebody says like um, what's the other one? Um, if somebody's from like a different Conjo team, yeah. they would um, they wouldn't be able to like take your tire and then that's run their clever. car with it yeah. because like that's a thing. Where like they would totally like, no, somebody's looking to just swap out the worn tire for a fresh tire. And then the other team wouldn't be able to have their fast tires. That's where that came from. See, that's fine. That's actually a really cool story. But that's not what happens here. Yeah, no, you're not putting your <laughs> racing team name on the track tire. No, you're filling in Nanking tires right. with some Michelin. Le- yeah, or even just writing in Nanking tires on your, like, 205-65 R15 tires on your very tired, you found them at Upolar Parts set of like TSWs that are like 15s. Yeah, gross. Did you just say 16 inch tire and then 15 You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just like, <laughs> no, like, it was a factory right. like fitment to like 16. I like, want it's custom a, wheels. It's like a 16 by 5.5. Like, oh. it is just terrible. Those are the wheels that are sold to discount tire just for when you hit a pothole with mm-hmm. your deflated tire and you need a new factory. That's exactly what they yep. exist for. And I get the aftermarket manufacturers found out. I'm just lifting the, this up so it gets more. Oh, airflow. Cooling. I got yes. you. Oh, the fan's going nuts. Uh, it's getting a little spicy. Ah. It's fine. It just keeps downloading things. <laughs> um, it hasn't been awake for some time. No. So. so I just wanted to make sure the computer is okay. But yeah, so you really hate tire lettering. I concur. I have, like, when I think window louvers, I think I might hate those more than pointy log nuts. Um, however, tricolor grill stripes you wrote down. And now I'm seeing them on, like, Maseratis. I saw a Volvo Polestar. No. Uh, with light blue and yellow. It's a Chinese with like the BMW performance style ones on a yep, Volvo. I know. And I have never so quickly gone into the fast lane and started driving the speed limit than when I saw <laughs> that guy coming up behind me. 
I was as obtuse as I possibly could because I, I was mad at him. It was during rush hour too, so it's like you don't you shouldn't be going seventy here. But like, <laughs> also like I'm usually not the 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 lane police, but for you, you get my ire because I was like hangry and I saw that I'm like ah, so mad. <laughs> I saw a Ghibli on twenty twos at least with Gross. those in the Italian colors, and I instantly became beside myself oh that's awful dissatisfaction um, i actually saw a <sighs> pentastar italian vehicle it didn't suck uh, i saw a quadrifoglio stelvia or whatever stelvio yeah i saw one of those that's that was a like, pentastar that's based on the ferrari california vehicle. oh is that v8 that's a nine, oh it's, no, it's, it's a, a v6 pl- but it's a 90 degree yeah it's a 90 degree that's why it sounds like shit okay that that's yeah it sound sounded terrible but that's the one it was actually kind of cool like the like the hood the the scoops on the hood okay like the vents on the hood yeah actually go into the engine bay. well that is good well, yeah i mean it's probably terrible but i'm glad they yes do things. no it actually they're functioning <laughs> things i'm like this guy bought a crossover but like he's gonna learn <laughs> italian car ownership real quick when the first snow and road salt starts going yep. in there, oh, and yeah. the, the engine harness isn't prepared for that, it was like a, it was like a younger black dude. I'm like, he, he like he like like he was doing well for himself, and he bought that. I'm like, you're gonna find out. You're gonna get an Abarth ownership experience oh, right yeah. here. Like, it's okay. Everybody should experience this at, at one point in their life. But this is what it's like to own a foreign. Like, is, you are going to get this. It's yeah, gonna the, be a whole lot of fun. The QFs aren't particularly reliable so yeah no um, no and especially just alfa romeo as a whole just isn't and well, yeah, but that's specifically not, the hot alphas that is not why they sell in fact i think that yeah the, quite the opposite is why they sell people want that obscure not boring experience he was also enjoying the truck as well oh. he got to he went wide open he actually preloaded it and everything from stoplight mm. so i was like he left the gas station and he goes to the light and he like sits right here and i watched the rear end like actually squat nice. down and i'm like ah he's actually preloading that he's not just bouncing off of rev limiter like no i'm waiting he's actually, for the transfer case to explode it's yeah it good. will absolutely explode because those are giant tires on there yep that will it was pretty fun i watched a non-quadrifoglio uh stelvio get tailed by a state trooper for quite some time and then get tailed by the same trooper with his lights on for quite some time before he realized that he was being followed and then pulled over. So oh, uh, fun. best of luck to that person <laughs> who probably got multiple citations, even though he wasn't going that quickly. All right. <clears throat> anyway. So speaking of functional louvers, I saw this last week, and I'm not sure how to feel about it, but I think Ford became a little bit pee-pee jealous of the C8 and the fact that after 50 years of saying that they're going to make a mid-engine Corvette they, they did, did. Uh, and ford's like well we don't have a corvette what's the next closest thing like well we have the mustang still don't they have a gt uh, i think that's been discontinued oh i guess they don't have a, G- a corvette then correct yep and that was mid-engine but anyway for some godforsaken reason not only did ford put out a concept car called the gtd i believe yep i saw that they're going to make that in 2025 it so it looks like a Ken Block RTR yeah, GT no, it's essentially, insane, yeah. but it's actually a 5.2 Shelby powered supercharged mid-engined carbon fiber body, three hundred thousand dollar mus- Mustang. Dang, that's cool. I like it because it's dumb. Yeah, no, that's very dumb, and it's arguably a horrible car, so it's probably going to be good. Yeah, no, I'm okay with this. I wrote it's just weird. I wrote a track pack Shelby GT 500. Okay. Um, what year? But 2020 was it a DCT car? Uh, I didn't look that close. Okay. I can't tell you. I like just started writing it. I, gotcha. I didn't actually complete it because he was missing a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Did but, he have doors open in his photos? No, well, but he good. was just missing like a lot of underside photos, and a lot of random things, title photos, shit like that. Anyway, um, reading's hard. It was a flat. Is the flat plane V8? Oh, GT350. Uh, no, 500. 500 has flat plane. Apparently, I didn't know that. So it was. I, he had a startup video, and that was most definitely a flat plane. I thought only the Voodoo non-supercharged GT350s were that. Um, I will show you the car afterwards. It had the sure. carbon yeah, fiber like, track pack and everything, oh. the full carbon fiber wheels and everything. Oh, hell yeah. It was really fucking cool. I bet that's a GT350R. It was a 500, I think. I'm pretty oh, sure. I mean, anyway, oh, it was, it was the whiz-bang <laughs> one. That's what it was. 
Um, well, because, that is like, the Wizzy's like, bangiest. Like I said, I, I saw it and I go, this is very cool. And I saw he's missing a bunch of shit. I'm like, well, I won't finish this today. So I didn't finish it. So usually I get you all the details after I finish writing sure. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But since he was missing most of the shit that I needed. The, um, the critical information. I might. could see the car. I got an idea for the car. <laughs> okay. I could feasibly have written it. Sure. But I, it would not have been anywhere near going live. And I know better. Um at this point, to then to spend my time on something that needs that much shit. Um, yeah, but it was, it they got to get you ninety percent, I imagine, before it's even worth you spending any time on. As long as I have like, um, ex- as long as I can fill out the information on it, I can check the VIN to the title. That's the thing. And if it's like newer cars like that, I try to. I usually don't have them go live until I have a title, because then I need to make sure that like the title a exists. <sighs> B is in the person's name. Um, Small penis. Small penis. Oh, that guy's got an Eric Clapton chin and an open mouth. <laughs> but anyway. There are two immensely large pavement Oh, processes. that one's actually really cool. That's a high boy. Oh, wow. That is a very clean truck. That's actually cool. There's three trucks and one of them was cool. The yeah, so the, the first two are just pavement princess that rams or whatever. Too. Oh my god. Is that an OBS? That's an OJ Simpson era F-150. Is that a Cummins? No, it'd be an early power stroke. That doesn't sound like a V8. That that last one's a power stroke. I think yeah. the other one was a Cummins. Maybe it was. Cool. It was cool. That's a cool truck. No, those are all cool trucks. Alright, not the first two. Uh, the the ones we were talking yeah, about that are cool. The white ones. Yeah. Not because they're white, for the record. No. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so the the car, the GT3 500, you're yeah, right. Yeah, like, it, as long as I can, like... It, like, but the thing is, like modern cars, like, a lot of the time they'll have like a lean on them. I need to make sure like the reserve is more than the lean amount because, believe it or not, I didn't it can be that. extremely yeah. cursed if the car hits reserve and it sells for five grand less than the lean. The guy doesn't have five grand. Oh no! Yeah, so I always make sure about that. <laughs> that's something that's not technically in the rule book. I think that should be added to the uh, the checklist. It might, it might be nowadays, but okay. like when I first started working there, it was not technically in the rule book. So I'm like. Ooh. Speaking of people living on the edge, yeah, people can't just absorb five payments in a yeah, row. Yeah, no, basically. I know I can't. Like, nobody can. I, you cannot take a $5,000 no, random L. I can't pay off the three grand and whatever equity on the Tesla right now. Hell no. Yeah, exactly. And nobody like, has any money. The world is on no. fire. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I have one additional <laughs> modification I just thought about that okay. I actually really hate. Um, fake JDM license plates. Okay. I yep. have an example me, uh, image. I'll pull this up here. Sorry, let me close this. Where out. it's not a. Um, Whoa! Well, that's not it. There you go. Got it. So <laughs> it's where you put words in text onto something that looks vaguely like a Japanese license plate. Like they never had an Imperial Rising Sun license plate. Well, they should. The only three license plates on this that ever existed it's are nice. the white one, yep. the yellow one, and I think the green one was for like military vehicles or something. But, but there wasn't a red one that says sushi on it? No, and also, um, they would never have Romanized text on them like that. There is one Romanized character you could ever get on a Japanese license plate, and that's the letter Y, and that's for Yankee, and that's for U.S. servicemen based in Okinawa, specifically. Ah. So if you ever, actually, cool fact, if you ever get a Y-plated um, Japanese license plate that you know exactly where it's from. It's a very unique thing. So that's actually really cool. That is um, really cool. But these license plates, every single thing means something. So when you look at these, whenever you're finding a Japanese license plate, uh, first off, if it has any romance text, it's stupid. You know a lot about the person. They're fucking try hard and I hate them. Um, <laughs> they're, in, they're just annoying and users. awful. Um <laughs> But on Japanese license plates, so the top two kanji characters, it's usually kanji. There's actually one prefecture that uses a character which is just a normal hiragana character uh, in its name. I can't remember. I think it's Akita. But um, that says the prefecture name. And then, so these saying 5-9 or 2-9 would actually technically be a very early Japanese license plate because now they use a three-number prefix. That prefix denotes the vehicle... Uh, class and engine size okay so you'd have say a 500 would be um over two liters something below a 500 like a 300 i believe is above a k car and the two or ones i believe is a k car oh wow so it's so backwards they actually actually they actually 
like all those numbers mean something. And after that, the numbers after that, I can denote specifically what class they are for um, Shinkansen testing. Not Shinkansen. That's that that's bullet train for. Oh, what is the Japanese vehicle test called? I'm blanking on it. I assure you. But I anyway, the know. the two the last so it's a three digit number now, yeah, yeah. and the last two digits are for what class it would be for the Japanese vehicle test. So is that like a usage case, or is it safety? Yes. Or? So you'd have like multi-person vehicle versus two-door commuter car versus pickup so truck, something versus, like that. Yeah, okay. bus. Gotcha, gotcha, exactly. Gotcha. Um, I, then, I like when license plates mean stuff. Yes, and then the uh, hiragana that's next to it would be uh, Y would be Yankee. Otherwise, they have all the other hiragana is just one that's available. What for about the what Punisher skull? Uh, Punisher skull does not exist in Japan. No, and that's also trademarked by Mattel. So... <laughs> Or rather, Disney. Um, so, um, Marvel. Marvel Disney. So well, there's that, four s- exclamation points in a row here, so I know this site's legit. Exceptionally annoying. Um, this is a really hard thing, even for me to look at. Yes. So. Yellow uh, is for small <laughs> displacement bikes and for K vehicles. Um, ah. White is for everything else. They'll have a white with a red stripe through it, and the white with a red stripe is a temporary point. Okay. Actually. Um yeah, so that's what all those are for. They also do not have dragons on them. That is not an option as well. Wow. Um, what about the... And then the four... There's also only a four or five digit option for the numbers themselves. Okay. And they're actually not black. They're a dark reflective green. Weird. If you look very closely at them, they're extremely dark green. That's kind of cool. Yeah, but that, that's the way you can tell if an actual Japanese license plate from a fake one. Also, they would not be these elongated holes. There are two holes set Jap- just for Japanese vehicles. They do not fit on U.S. plates. They're a little bit larger. Are and they at the top or are they center? They're the at the top. There's two oh, at the top. Okay. And okay. the left one on the top is actually riveted onto the car because the license plate does not leave the car yep. until it leaves Japan. I dealt with that with both my imports from yep. Britain and Wales because the plate is issued with the car. Mm-hmm. And, like, the first two characters denote the year it was issued. So you yep. can tell what year a car is oh, very cool. at the plate, which is really cool. And, uh, yeah, they're riveted on for life. Like, So on Japanese license plates, yeah. you can also tell the age of the vehicle. Because for most of the Japanese history, they would only have a four-digit um, license plate. Just the number on the actual plate? Yeah, these major numbers right, sure. right here. Yep. They'd be four digits. And they've recently moved over, like, I think in the 90s they started doing a five-digit for, like, Tokyo and some okay. prefectures. But the digits are ba- are specific for each prefecture, so you could have a six 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 plate in Okinawa, in Yokohama, and okay. in like Akita and Sapporo. <laughs> that's they could a little France. That. First two are the region codes. So yeah, it tells you what basically but, county it was issued. Yeah, in. but that's the thing is the region code would be in the the top kanji because they have they have forty seven okay. prefectures in oh. Japan, so there's plenty of those. So you sure. will know basically almost at a county size level nice. where it's from. Um, but yeah, so that's how you can kind of tell a lot about Japanese license plates is uh, they'll tell you all about the car and where it's from. And I think that's just interesting as hell. And I absolutely love that. And the fact that they're riveted on is very cool. I'm kind of a fan of plates that never leave the car. Yes. And well, it's because like if you find like an old car and the old car has like, I've seen like really old cars from like the 50s on Japanese nostalgia car that were just like, taken by one of our photographers like back when I worked there that were in Japan mm-hmm. and be this like super old man that owns it and he's had this like same like 1952 you know Nissan since new mm-hmm. and he had like a single number for the top of the plate and then he had like a three digit plate number well, without a dot very- oh, also it's not a square it's a dot in between it would make it very easy to identify the provenance of a car too yes it's like I mean, yeah, you could fake it and rivet it on, but to your point, like if you verify it's green ink and yeah. all this other bullshit, I mean, that's that's cool. I dig it, that. Yeah, Japanese license plates are just centering as, as interesting as European or California plates. California plates in specific are really cool. So can you personalize a plate in Japan? You can, yes. Okay, interesting. And so when you personalize them, well, it's only numeric how you can personalize. It's only those four digits, and it's hideously expensive. Huh. Um, but a, a lot of people will take like their lucky number, like sixty six, sixty six is uh, considered a lucky number in Japan. Ah, it's different here. Yeah. Well, not, not six six six, but sixty six, sixty six is a lucky number. That's why you'll see a lot of cars like uh, Rocket Money will have six 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 on their car because that's a lucky number. Triple uh, seven is another really popular one. Zero zero zero, or sorry, blank blank blank, and then one single digit is also very popular. <laughs> 
Because if you do blank, it's just a dot. They'll put a three dots, and then you'll have your number. I kind of like the three dots. It's the three dots, and the number is really cool. That's pretty neat. So, <laughs> but I can understand hating the the fake. Like, yeah, and it's not even just a fake. It's like a characterization. It's so stupid because there's so much. Like, if you knew anything about what you were driving, yeah. Like, if you did the smallest amount of research, you could find out that there's a huge world, and you can buy Japanese plates for about forty dollars a pop. Like real ones? Yes, on okay. my Civic I was driving. I always had one on my Civic when I was younger. And the one on my Civic was from Mie province because that's where the car was made. Nice. Like, I like went. I wanted to make sure it was from a, the province that the car was How made from. How dare you do research, right? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I got uh, the most common ones you find on eBay for some reason from Kobe. Province. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. No idea. I guess there's somebody that just sells a lot of plates on eBay from a junkyard in Kobe. When I visited France in 2009, I went to the local area. It was vehicle registration, yeah. where the plates are pressed and printed on site. Sick. And I asked them, like, can you make custom ones just for novelty? And the guy's like, oh, I don't know. It's illegal to make plates. I'm like, no, no, it's just for decoration. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So they were, just like, they were like three euro each. Like, oh, wow. So cheap. That's awesome. So I had a ton just made with custom, like, text. I don't yeah. Know. Y- Same thing. Yeah. Not legitimate. But, but you, yeah, no, in, in Japan, you, um, you, you can only get it when you purchase a car. So you can't um, buy what, a car and then put a custom plate on it. What if uh, you get in a, a front and rear end collision at the same time and you need new plates after the car is repaired? How is that ha- managed? You have to go to the referee that does the vehicle inspection. He okay. has to unrivet it, yep. and he has to rivet it on while, police, gotcha. while a police officer watches. <laughs> like, they are so strict. I, I like it. It's really cool. I, like I love it. it. Yeah, I like it. As somebody so, who's experienced license plate theft, I'm into that. Yeah. Anyway, I see that you have no additional topics. Should I have I just... one more. Okay. But let's do yours. I'm no, gonna... no, 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 no. I want to talk about your next one. Do you, though? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's really sad. What's your Are you sure you don't next? want to talk about Octane first? No, we'll end with Octane because I want to end on a okay. happy fine, note. Fine, fine, fine. So, yes. <sighs> Johnny's new car. Yes. That he adores and loves. Yeah. The Carbitrage car of the year, at least once, I assume. Well, maybe not. But it's always in our top running. The Mitsubishi Mirage is unofficially, but officially, going away for the 2025 model year. And that's Very dumb. Sad. Because nobody has money, and they need a cheap and cheerful, which that car is, car to buy. Now and it's all up to Nissan. Now, and here's the thing. The, one of the next cheapest vehicles, the Kia Forte, yeah. started at 18.9. That's now going away also for next model year. Sick. So, no more cheap cars, everybody. Have cool. fun. But Glad I, to see my Fiat's going to be worth everything forever. Pretty much. You know, at this point, like, so, like, Dan's friend who's, um, he's a thespian. He's not a car person mm-hmm. at all. His Prius just got totaled. That's and now sick. he's looking for a new car. And Dan's like, I think he sh- I'm going to take him to Mitsubishi to go get a Mirage. Because he's like... All he wants is he wants something that gets good fuel economy and is cheap and like reliable. And I'm like, it says oh. it right here, sweet shit bucks. Yeah, I'm like, would he like? I'm like, how's his credit? He goes, wonderful. I'm like, ninety nine bucks a month Mirage lease. Like, do that in this day and age with the inflation. That is a that, killer deal, and yeah. they're cheap to insure too. <sighs> Yeah, well, oh well, Mitsubishi will soon find out that nobody actually likes their crossovers, and they'll have even a smaller market share. Do you know why Mitsubishi actually kind of sucks? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But do you know why they, like, don't have a market here? Because of getting rid of the Evo? No, actually, it predates that. They've oh. always been on the back foot, even during the Evo. Huh. Uh, then I Because they tied themselves to Chrysler during the Malays. Oh. They would oh. only import cars as Chryslers for most of the Malays. Yuck. And nobody's buying Chryslers. Well, so yeah, because the LX so platforms, while, or GS, I guess, platforms sucks. Yeah, so while Toyota was eating everybody's lunch in the 70s, Mitsubishi is making identical cars that were just as good and actually more reliable in some cases. Mm-hmm. And they weren't selling any of them here because they were being sold through Chrysler dealerships. So that's why they don't have... Yeah, Mitsubishi's presence was, the, oh, hey, the, the engine in my van is Whereas, um, so Chrysler Australia was actually a subsidiary. Of, it was a different brand that was rebranded back to Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chrysler Australia was kind of like a Mitsubishi sort of thing. Sure. Um, and so Chrysler in Australia didn't have as much of a market share. Is this like the Dodge Journey being sold back to Fiat? Yeah, kind of. 
and so that's why uh, Mitsubishi in Australia has like a huge market share is because they've always been able to concentrate on that market. Like Southeast Asia and places like that where Chrysler didn't give a shit, like in the 70s, that's where Mitsubishi is just doing wonderfully. So, yeah. I just recently That's watched a fun fact about Cannonball Mitsubishi. Run 2, and there was like a very clear product placement of a Mitsubishi Turbo Coupe. Yes. And I'm like, and that was even the 80s. And yeah. it was one of these things where like... They're trying tell. very fucking hard because they were on the back foot the entire time because they, they hitched their, their horse to the Chrysler wagon during the worst time to ever be associated with Chrysler. Yeah, that moving hitching post was a bad move. Yep, that was a bad idea. But um, I, I wish the Mitsubishi Mirage luck... I wish that there will be another cheap and cheerful little car that comes and takes its place. I hope so. I'd like to see, you know, uh, Proton still somehow exist. Maybe Proton or Paragua could send something over. Give us some uh, Pacific Rivers, man. Oh, yeah. Fuck. As soon as Wuling figures out how to make a subsidiary in Vietnam to import cars to America, oh they're going to fucking kill it. Um, so... I would like to see some more. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> all right, so we're going to end this episode. Um, now I have got about five minutes. This will actually allow me to shorten this up. I want to talk about octane testing in the history thereof. I am really interested. Because in this. this all came out uh, ba- because I was watching a um, Jay Leno's Garage video about Fatty Arbuckle's 1923 McFarlane Model 154, which had a T-head engine. Okay. You, do you know what a T-head is? Unfortunately, it I is, do. How do you not like this? It's a cross-flow flathead. I know, but it's like the the flow geometry of them it's is stupid. like it's like it's like plumbing both valves through like irrigation. Plumbing. It's a terrible, it, terrible idea. But it's really, really. There's cool. no swirl. No, there's not at all. <laughs> but there's a uh, reason that they actually did that is they wanted to have a cross-flow, you know, cylinder head, so sure. you'd have natural flow. Um, separate heat and all that kind of shit too. but they also needed to do that with <laughs> a octane rating of roughly somewhere between 50 and 90 yeah uh ron or aki didn't exist then there was only one octane rating no there wasn't any at all actually oh. and that 50 to 90 is the range in which you would get when you got gasoline so um, it would sometimes be fifty octane. Well, your compression ratio is four point five to one. There's so a reason whoop. for that, <laughs> yeah, right? Because they had the technology to go higher than that. <laughs> right. They yep. chose not to for good reason. Funny how machining was actually pretty good. It in the was 1920s. just fine. Yeah. If you looked at Bugatti, where they actually like Bugatti race cars were like designed to have. Oh yeah, look at a Type Thirty Five. Yeah, like they were they were designed to run on a gasoline that was aided by, aided by alcohol mm-hmm. for to raise the octane. Mm-hmm. And that's why, yeah, they had like 8.8, 9.0 to 1 with this the supercharger. Shock people, but bridge ports were around then. Yeah, but the octane rating was not was not standardized. In fact... When did AKI and RON come into... Uh, so, that consistently... Uh, consistent octane ratings didn't even start until 1928. So, what's... Extremely cursed about that is um, it wasn't even until the like mid 1930s that an ideal gasoline octane level was decided upon. And what was that decision? That was for airplanes, <laughs> and the reason for that was actually for military uses. Well, and you can thank the Italians for that. Oh my! And you're wondering what did the benzina? Well, so this is the thing. So. In right before World War II, um, there was a really great fighter plane called the Fiat CR-32. You can bring up a photo of it. It's not a CR-2032. No, it's a CR-32. Um, it's a, this was uh, the peak of biplanes. Um, in fact, oh, this, she a chunky girl. Yeah, so this is actually a biplane that could compete with a BF-109. Uh, like, is that the thing you with the gear? No, the BF-109 was, like, the monoplane fighter of Germany in World War II. Hey, look. Yeah. The oldest photo is the one that actually pulls up at real resolution. Look at that. Great. Um, so, yeah, the Fiat CR-32. That's um, I'm doing that again. Yeah, they had a, uh, basically, like, a heptane booster that you were supposed to put into it. Yeah. That went with normal gas, but you had to hand mix it beforehand. 
And China bought a whole ass load of these right before Japan in, invaded. And China quickly found out that it was a big fucking problem where you had to hand mix all your gasoline before your airplane would even operate. Interesting how compression ignition will happen, or probably pre-ignition in this case. Once these got in the air, they were great. That's why the Ki-10 only was around for a few years, the first Japanese fighter of the World War II era, Ah, because they got their ass kicked by these once they got in the air. But then they found out, oh, if we just blow up like half of their hangar, that will take care of half of the gasoline they need to mix. At the airport for the airplane. So, first problem, right? Um, so far, everything I've heard on this topic is cursed. Yes. Yep. So, in cars in 1927, um, they that's when they started consistently using leaded gasoline. Oh, tetraethyl? Because, gotcha. Yeah, because so, the, le- the leaded um, additive actually counteracted the wildly differing octane ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably made it more consistent. I'll yeah, it made it, it, it. Yeah, it actually made that, and, and you, it lubricated things really well. So, so when do you think that there was actually a regulatory agency for octane ratings? So, when do you think AKI and Ron actually entered the chat? Nineteen fifty-eight. Later. Oh no, nineteen seventy-three. Oh, not quite that bad. Oh, but it was around then. Nineteen seventy-one. Uh, yeah, about that. Oh, no. it, it years differed, but between nineteen seventy and nineteen seventy-two. Uh, the world began using a consistent octane rating. Well, the the developed world uh, was no using... wonder Mercedes had diesels. Yeah, it wasn't until the seventies. And think about like every muscle car and everything; those were all before octane because you had leaded gas. That wasn't a fucking problem. I guess until the seventies because they're like, okay, cool, whatever inconsistency you have in octane rating will be taken care of by the leaded additive. The lead additive. That's terrible. Yeah. So that's very next corny. time next time you think of a car like you see like a a twin cam Duesenberg that actually like makes power back then like there's a reason you only made w- like a quart like one horsepower or a quarter of a horsepower per liter the s seventy six is starting to make a lot more sense now yep yeah or per cubic inch rather not per liter. But yeah, the reason you did that is because you couldn't actually maximize the quality of what you could build with an engine. And that's why, like, a lot of these, like, pre-war cars, like, now, like... The in, 1970s. Yeah, the 70s. There are so many modern cars made before that was a thing. Yeah. No, that's insane. Janus Buick existed before that consistent standardized octane rating segment. Fantastic. Yeah. And so stuff like that leads to China losing World War II. (laughs) Because they bought a bunch of Italian-ass airplanes that were designed for Italian-ass shit. And so, yeah, there's a whole science behind this. And basically, you're kind of... It's... From how I understand, it's very similar to, like, divining rods and how you get consistent octane at a gas station. Because they take a sample, like, once a month to make sure it's consistent. And the only thing that keeps them consistent is the fuel manufacturer going, boy, we hope they, our customer doesn't go out of business. That's their only thing. I don't know how there aren't more issues because a lot of the fuel we buy in this country goes through pipelines. Yes. And before it's trucked to the gas station, those pipelines transmit all of the different grades and types of fuel. I'm talking diesel, kerosene, all types of unleaded with and without ethanol pre-added, although a lot of that is actually done at the gas station. Um, but they send pigs through in the pipes. Yep. And sometimes there are issues with those things. They wear out and they don't seal very yep. well. So I have to imagine a lot of fuel grades will mix in the actual pipe. I don't know how there aren't more problems with like kerosene leaking into gasoline or diesel, you know, getting contaminated. It's different grades. It's shocking. Yeah. Uh, 456 does not sound good. No, it doesn't. Um, but yeah, this, uh, I was, I went like a deep dive between, um, EESI, which is Environmental Energy Study Institute. Okay. And actually the LinkedIn profile for, uh, one of the lead researchers in octane ratings. That was uh, wild. That's right now. Yeah. That's, it's a really good read. Um, but as from Kalami Douglas, who is a powertrain design, uh, specialist for Siemens, I actually much prefer 75% aromatic to 30% aromatic. <laughs> and if you give me parophyll nafromentic, I'm not interested. <laughs> okay. But um, 
Yeah, so like the um, I'm leaving that up in hopes that su- becomes the thumbnail. Superchargers and compression ratios in like following World War One are why like the uh, fuel research committee was developed in 1921. So it took him until 1928 to even figure out how to do a consistent octane test. Like, does it explode? Yes. Okay, throw it in the engine. Call it a day. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, look, look at multi-fuel. I mean, the M75A1s, whatever the hell those things were. It's, yeah, totally bananas. <sighs> and the early way of doing it is they'd uh, look at how the plugs looked in the combustion chamber to get the octane rating. Like... Very fascinating, very cursed. Um, is it, is so what they eventually did with octane ratings around World War II uh, is they used a bouncing pin knock detector. So it'd be a, like a bouncing pin, and after a certain amount, it would tell you if it knocks. Okay. And once the fuel begins to knock, that's how you know. That's how you could test what the octane is. Oh my god! So even the octane was like if it had water and it, it would make it bounce. It'd be the correct octane. It'd just be terrible. Um, God, dude. But it would often break. Uh, it, it, what it would do is it would be a little leaf spring. It would just break contact with the leaf spring and, and produce an electrical signal. I feel like that would be really hard on the test equipment. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it would do as you go through them. Um, I love these, man. The superchargeability of 87 octane fuels of different chemical composition. Yeah, it's great. Also, it's measured in inhugs. In what? Oh, it's actually mimimhugs. Mimimhugs. Millimeters of mercury. Awesome. <laughs> um, Back when lab test equipment had real manly, but yeah, so it. there was a, uh, so it's just so they would use heptane as the basic like zero octane like this is what knocking is supposed to be, and they, they that's how they I didn't even zero, know they would zero the equipment with that, and then from there it'd be how close are you to heptane? Well, there's heptane, pentane, and octane, right? Those yeah. are the the hydrocarbon strains, and yep. like. Oh My yep. brain is too small for this. This is like learning about engine oil. I could learn for years and still not really yeah. understand octane, a, especially why they deviated between AKA and RON. Yeah. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Yep, no, there's a deviation. It, it's all just divining rods, basically, these <laughs> days. So, like, it is, I accept that answer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> whenever somebody says, oh, gasoline engines are so good, they're so well done, I'm like, no, dude. We barely have a grasp on this technology. That's how we make like five percent of efficiency based off them. The thermal efficiency of engines, even with direct injection, is horseshit. Yeah. So actually, um, fun fact: aromatic fuels were uh, first used by Germany in World War II, which are like paraffinic fuels, hmm. um, and they used that because of the lack of access of crude oil prior, like at the beginning of the war, and like that's why they invaded Africa. Um, was for oil, um, and so that yeah, it was actually in World War Two is when they started doing like not oil based fuels to try and figure out how do we make an airplane fly, and that was it's just those a, are the confidence inspiring questions you really want to hear out of these committees. Yeah, how does how do you make this um, work? Imagine the guy walking by in the hallway that turns around and starts listening. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, it's it's very cursed. So yeah, I thought this was like one of the most interesting deep dives I've ever done. It makes me want to like do more research on Octane and have a longer segment on it because that's fascinating. Yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. It's a and really just good like topic. the history of it is just like I love the history of how wacky all this stuff is. How this has really never come up in a substantial capacity in the last five years is kind of amazing to me. It's something where I was always aware of it, and I was always aware that a lot of it is just, like, kind of made up, um, like, to be honest. Well, especially before the Standards Institute existed. Yeah, like, but, like, I did not know the history of, like, I knew how, like, modern day it's sort of made up. Just, like, it's just kind of like a bunch of BS. We did 80 years of automobiles before there was Before we figured out anything. how to make it, yeah. That's staggering. Yeah, incredible. So It's breathtaking. There you go. All right. Now we know. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you next week.